On Tuesday, Tesla held its shareholder meeting. The titan of electric vehicles was a spectacle packed with surprises, confirmations, and projections that could reshape the EV industry's landscape. The gathering was laden with considerable news, including a lack of a clear succession plan for CEO Elon Musk, the return of a co-founder, and the tantalizing tease of two new EVs. Now, Elon Musk, the charismatic and sometimes controversial figurehead of Tesla, has not yet identified a successor. This news is somewhat unsettling for investors who are aware of how integral Musk is to Tesla's identity and the success of the company. His leadership has guided the company through many triumphs and tribulations, making him synonymous with the Tesla brand. And given the influence and visibility that Musk wields, the lack of a clear succession plan is a matter of concern for many stakeholders. Now, when asked about a potential successor during the Q&A session, Musk was somewhat evasive, stating that a succession plan would be addressed, quote, at the appropriate time. And investors were hoping for a more concrete answer or at least a glimpse into the thought process. However, Musk's statement only adds to the uncertainty surrounding Tesla's future leadership. Nonetheless, in a surprising turn of events, a familiar face from Tesla's past, co-founder J.B. Straubel is stepping back into the company's orbit. They parted ways with Tesla way back in 2019, and they're making the return and an advisory capability. Now, known for his crucial role in developing the Tesla Roadster and his instrumental part in creating Tesla's first lithium-ion battery pack, Straubel's return is a welcome development for the company and its shareholders. Now, while details of the advisory role are not yet clearly fully fledged out yet, his reconnection with Tesla is expected to provide a significant boost to the company's innovative drive. Now, their expertise in battery technology and sustainable energy could be a game changer for Tesla, especially as the competition in the EV market intensifies. With Straubel's return, Tesla is once again consolidating its position as a pioneer and leader in the EV and clean energy space. Now, the shareholder meeting wasn't just about leadership, though. It also provided tantalizing glimpses into Tesla's product pipeline. Musk revealed that two new electric vehicles are in the works, adding to the excitement and anticipation surrounding the company's future offerings. However, keeping with Tesla's tradition of maintaining suspense, Musk provided no specific details about these vehicles. Now, the tease, while devoid of any concrete information, did spark speculation and anticipation among enthusiasts and analysts. Given Tesla's track record, the new offerings are likely to push the boundaries of EV technology and the design of these vehicles. Now, the possibilities range from an affordable mass market model to a high-end luxury vehicle, or even a new form factor entirely, as Tesla continues to broaden its product range. Now, the unveiling of new EVs is a strategic move for Tesla right now. The EV market is growing at a crazy rate, with established automakers and startups alike introducing new electric models. Now, as competition becomes fiercer, Tesla is striving to maintain its edge by offering innovative and varied models that cater to a wider demographic. And this move is in line with Tesla's mission to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Now, the Tesla shareholders meeting was a fixed bag of news, and also there was intrigue and there was promise. The absence of a clear succession plan for Musk is a concern, but the return of JB 
brings a much-needed sense of stability and expertise to the company. Furthermore, the tease of two new EVs shows that Tesla's intent to maintain its position at the forefront of the industry is solid. And as Tesla continues to shape the EV landscape, these recent developments underscore the company's enduring audacity and innovative spirit. The absence of a concrete succession plan is a concern, yet it also highlights Musk's singular vision and his integral role in driving the company. Now, as Tesla navigates this uncertainty, the return of a seasoned veteran like JB is undoubtedly a boon. His expertise and familiarity with the company's ethos could prove to be invaluable to the face of growing competition and the challenges that come with it. Now, furthermore, the tease of two new EVs signifies Tesla's continued commitment to leading the charge in the electric vehicle market. With its existing lineup, Tesla has already disrupted the auto industry, proving that EVs can be desirable, high-performing, and increasingly accessible. The introduction of two new models lonely expand Tesla's reach, potentially drawing in new customers and setting new industry standards for the whole EV market. And in many ways, these developments encapsulate the essence of Tesla, a company that thrives on innovation, pushes boundaries, and isn't afraid to keep stakeholders guessing. And as we look to the future, the key question will be how Tesla navigates the twin challenges of leadership transition and growing competition in the EV market. These aren't small hurdles, though. But if any company can tackle it, it seems like Tesla and Elon Musk could do that. And the return of JB, and the tease of new vehicles, and even this uncertainty around Musk all have us captivated right now. And what's going on at Tesla for the future? This narrative is not just about a single company, but the broader transition towards sustainable transportation and renewable energy. And as such, Tesla is one that will continue to be watched closely, not just by shareholders, though, but by everyone interested in the future of our planet. Now, the latest Tesla shareholders meeting was a reflection on the company's dynamic and sometimes unpredictable nature. The lack of the succession plan for Musk has a question mark for the company's future. But JB is back in the game, and that's a good thing for Tesla. Now, I want to put you over to the actual Tesla shareholders meeting, the Elon Musk part of the meeting. There was more to it. There's about 30 minutes of Elon Musk here that I think you would find very intriguing. So please take a listen to this. But before you do, take a second and subscribe to the channel or follow it on whatever podcast platform you're on right now for more news like this. I appreciate your help. And I will see you in the next one. Off to Elon Musk. I just want to say I love you guys. Uh, we've got a lot of great news to talk about today. The Tesla team has done an incredible job of executing over the past year, and we have many exciting years ahead of us. So, yeah. So with the Tesla Master Plan Part 3, which admittedly was quite technical, we wanted to go into a lot of technical depth it was clear that, they that what we were saying were, was not just, were not merely assertions, but that they were backed up with physics and with real data, that it's realistic. And with the mass plan part three, we want to 
basically, the goal is to give people hope, re realistic hope, and maybe hope's even the wrong word, but simply to say that there is a path to a fully sustainable global economy, that we are on that path, that we are accelerating that path, and, and that so long as we don't get complacent about it, it will happen. So. I'll just I'll rush through a, re a recap of the Mass Plan Part 3, but the, some of the salient points are that it will actually take less energy to go, to, to, to go sustainable, not more energy. It's actually more... And some of these things may sound very obvious, but it's more energy efficient to go sustainable, not less. There's, there's less mining that is required for a sustainable energy economy, not more. Also very important. I, I, and I heard a question raised about cobalt mining, and you know what? We will do a third-party audit. <laughs> In fact, we'll put a webcam on the mine. <laughs> <laughs> And if anybody sees any children, please let us know. <laughs> so. I, I don't want to go off on a tangent too much on that front, but it, it, it's very important to appreciate that most of our battery packs are iron-based. A majority of our battery packs are iron-based, not cobalt. And, the, and then our other battery packs are nickel-based, and not cobalt. The nickel batteries use a little bit of cobalt as a binder, but only a tiny amount. In contrast, your phones all use 100% cobalt. <laughs> I recommend complaining to the phone manufacturers. <laughs> but even for the small amount of cobalt that we do use, we will make sure, six ways to Sunday, that, we're, that no child labor is being exploited. Obviously, we're a company that cares a lot about doing the right thing, and we don't want to delude ourselves or delude anyone else. Yeah, Karen. Again, just re recapping Master Plan Part 3, it's re really the point is to say that it, it is very doable, it is happening. We need a, a threefold increase in solar and wind, we need to, really, some of these 29-fold increase in vehicle stationary and thermal battery production. In, in a nutshell, the way to think about sustainability is the faster we can make battery packs, the faster we can move to a sustainable energy economy. That's the fundamental limiting factor. So, let's grab some water here. Yeah, this, I can't emphasize that point enough. The rate of, of lithium-ion battery production fundamentally decides the rate at which the world transitions to sustainability because the batteries are needed for all forms of transport and for stationary storage given the intermittent nature of solar and wind power. So the, and we do invite people to critique our analysis because any given analysis is going to be to some degree wrong. So we, that's why we put it out there look for critical feedback to say, perhaps we've got some things wrong, perhaps some things need to be adjusted. 
But generally, the feedback we've gotten is that actually our analysis is quite accurate, and we've not seen any rebuttals thus far that would cause us to change our assumptions. So it's, it means roughly 240 terawatt hours of battery pack, or 240,000 gigawatt hours of battery need to be produced. But it'll only take 0.2 percent of land area for solar and wind. So it's a very—it's not like we need to carpet the earth with solar and wind. It's just literally a, a fraction of a percent, roughly a 10 trillion dollar manufacturing investment, which, relative to the global economy, is actually a small number. Yes,、yeah, roughly 10 percent of the world economy. I think, obviously, I think 10 percent of the world economy is a small price to pay for a sustainable energy future. It's also true that even when factoring in the cost or the emissions required to produce an electric vehicle, which for now are a little higher than gasoline vehicles, when you look at the emissions over time, electric vehicles absolutely win by a long shot.、Um, and as we're seeing, the cost and the emissions required to produce an electric vehicle are dropping rapidly over time. And we're going to get we're going to get to the point where an electric vehicle. Is lower is cheaper than a gasoline vehicle. So in, in 2022, we avoided releasing about 13 million tons of CO2, reduced manufacturing GHG per vehicle by 30 percent, and reduced water usage by 15 percent, despite massive increases in output. So we also made our factories safer, which is really important. So we track the injuries per person. And we believe at this point we are best in industry or have the lowest、uh, injuries per person. We're now actually quite a big company from a headcount standpoint. This is our direct employment number, so this does not count contractors. And for every manufacturing job, depending on how you count it, there are at least five, sometimes up to ten jobs created, because you've got to look at the total supply chain as well as the all of the support functions. When you have, create a factory like this. You actually create jobs for teachers, lawyers, carpenters, electricians, and restaurants, and everything that's required to support a person at a factory. And this is why countries and states are so interested in having manufacturing facilities in their location. Anyway, it's, it's a lot of people gainfully employed doing very useful things. We received 3.6 million job applications. Last year, and, and and once again, the the top two most desired companies for engineers on Earth were SpaceX and Tesla. At the end of the day, the competitiveness of any given company is a function of what, where are the most talented people interested in working. That is the team that's going to win. In fact, if I'd say this is general, generally the case, if you look at any given company and say where. Are the most smartest, most driven people going to work? That company is going to win. So, whether it's Tesla or any other company, we're also excited to announce our next-gen drive unit, which is a big reduction in silicon carbide. It's half the factory space. Notably, there are zero rare earth elements required. So, yeah. And we're also changing to a 40 volt, 48 volt low voltage architecture in the cars. Yeah, this is a big deal, actually. So the cars have been operating with 12 volt batteries for basically about a century. So for the first time in, I think, over 100 years, 
we're actually going to change from a 12 volt voltage of outside of the drivetrain to a 48 volt architecture. And to first approximation, that means we need only about a quarter as much copper for in the car as would be needed for a 12 volt battery. So that's a big deal because people are often worried about well, is there enough copper? Yes, there is. And FSD beta is growing hyper exponentially. So <laughs> that, that, that chart is going to look like a wall, basically. And uh, just a question for those in the room. Are, have, how many people have tried out FSD beta? Okay, great. <laughs> so what do you think of the latest build? <laughs> so it's, it's really getting to the point where it's, at least for me, when I drive around, it's several days between interventions. And I think we're getting to the point where there's really just one last piece of the system that needs to be a neural net, which is the planning and control function. And so we expect to have that last piece become a neural net, so it'll be end-to-end -end from video in to control out as a neural net. And yeah, so the thing to appreciate is it's not that full self-driving will be as good as a person. It will be much, much better, like a lot. Like, over time, and 10 times more, 10 times safer than a person. It's not even going to be a contest, frankly. So this is a really big deal. And I think some people realize it, I think you guys probably realize it, but the, being able to do a software update and have several million cars suddenly go from manual driving to autonomous, I think will be the single biggest asset value increase in history. So... The normal usage of a passenger car is roughly 10 to 12 hours per week, call it an, maybe an, an hour and a half per day. And when you drive around, lots of cars just parked in parking lots because out of the 168 hours in a week, they're using less than 10%, maybe 7% of the hours of the week a, a car is in use. But once it is autonomous, it can be used probably, I don't know, 50, 50 hours a week, maybe more. It's, it is effectively a five-fold increase in the value of a car overnight. It's, I'm actually surprised that so few people realize this, or maybe they just don't believe it, it's real, but, but it is. So this is really an insanely big deal. We're also the largest EV maker in the world. So... Yeah. And I think that will continue. <laughs> and uh, while at the same time being the highest margin of any car maker in the world. Now, making electric vehicles profitably is hard, as illustrated by the difficulty of our competitors. A number of our, a number of our competitors are making EVs at a significant loss. Uh, but we are not. We are actually making EVs profitably, and almost no one else is. This is hard. <laughs> and I'd say for this, is, it's a ma massive credit to the Tesla team for... I can't tell you how hard manufacturing is. Like, you've probably heard me say that prototypes are easy, manufacturing is hard. And then manufacturing at scale with positive cash flow is excruciating. <laughs> it's mega pain. But the Tesla team has done it. And as you can see, our free cash flow 
per year has been increasing steadily. We're making good progress. It, it should be said that, and I've made some of these comments, that, the, that interest rates make a, a very big, have a very big effect on the affordability of cars. So the vast majority of people buy cars based on the monthly payment. So it's like how much money, how much is the monthly payment? And it's, it's, not, a, it's not a question of value for money. It, it's just do they actually have enough money? Can they afford it? So, so for the vast majority of people, it's just can they afford to pay the payment? As the interest rates increase and credit tightens, like it's safe to say that the, these various banks that have died are probably somewhat distracted from handing out auto loans. If they're on their way to the cemetery, increasing their auto loan portfolio is not the first thing on their mind. So this is going to be a challenging, I'd say a challenging 12 months. I want to be realistic about it. Like Tesla is not immune to the global economic environment. I expect things to be just at a macroeconomic level difficult for at least the next 12 months. Like Tesla will get through it and will do well and I think we'll see a lot of companies actually go bankrupt. So I, I, want, I want to make sure that this is not just the good news parade. It's important to, to understand that no company is immune to the macro, macroeconomic environment. But that said, it won't be darkness forever. I expect probably a year of difficulty globally for everyone. And then my best guess is that the global economy turns around in roughly 12 months. And then Tesla will be in, in an ex extremely good position. So anyone who is a long-term investor, I think, will do extremely well. And here I want to give a big shout out to the Tesla in, in, internal software team. This is, it's actually a, a really big deal that Tesla has such a powerful internal software team. I mean, that, that software team is responsible for handling the entire customer experience from buying the car, delivering the car, operating the factories, service and support. We internally wrote all of the insurance and financial software. The, it's, the supply chain and logistics stuff, the data centers and infrastructure, and the analytics in, insight. This is all internally written Tesla software. And I think there's, there are almost no companies in the world can do this because they do not have a, a very talented internal software team. So they're generally reliant on third-party enterprise resource planning software. So, but Tesla is not. This is a hidden strength of the company that often doesn't get a lot of attention, but is incredibly powerful. So once again, I'd like to thank them for their work. And as predicted, we are highly confident that Model Y will be the number one best-selling car on Earth this year. And in fact, in Europe, the best-selling car of any kind, yeah, whatsoever. It already was that in Q1, I should say. It's not will be, it was that in Q1. And China, the best-selling SUV. And the United States, the best-selling non-pickup vehicle in the United States in Q1. It's going well. <laughs> I don't know if this is like the optimal picture, but 
the it, it, Tesla cars are actually the safest cars in the world. We put immense effort into vehicle safety, and we keep updating the safety. So we keep improving the automatic emergency braking system just with a software update, and we keep improving the airbag deployment uh, with software updates. So we close the feedback loop on, like when we see an accident, we analyze the accident and we say, what can we do? from a software standpoint, because there's actually quite a lot you can do to, first of all, avoid the accident, because the best accident is no accident, and then if the accident occurs, how do we deploy the airbags and the sort of the seatbelt pretensioners to minimize the probability of injury? And so even for cars that people have owned for many years, we are behind the scenes continuously improving the safety of, of your car. And, and there are even some things that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, that we actually have automatic cabin overheat protection. Never in the history of the company has a child or a pet died in a Tesla. Okay. So it's one of those like, little-known features, but because we have a large battery and we're monitoring things all the time, we can make sure that the cabin temperature never gets to lethal levels. And I think that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. And then while lots of cars will say they've got five stars or whatever, there's nuance to that. When we did the European NCAP active safety tests, we got the highest scores that they've ever seen. Yeah. So we got a 98% score on the active safety system, which obviously isn't good enough, and we will, but we have got a game plan for getting rid of the last 2%. <laughs> so. And then it's worth noting things like the total cost of ownership of a Model 3 is now comparable to that of a Toyota Corolla. Superchargers, we were making good progress, so our supercharger uptime is now 99.95%. So, yeah. And we have superchargers practically everywhere at this point. Going to Megapack, because this is stationary storage is an important part of solving the sustainable energy problem. And the, mega, the, the Tesla Megapack is now more competitive than a natural gas peaker plant. So we have very strong demand for the Tesla Megapack and we're going to make a lot of them, yeah. And a while back, I predicted that the Tesla stationary battery pack business would actually grow faster than the automotive side of things, and that's exactly what has happened. You can see it's an exponential curve growing at a rate that, that is even faster than our vehicle sales. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we're expanding Gigafactory Nevada for the Tesla semi-production line and for the 4680 in-house in cell production. And uh, yeah, some mega factory stuff. The, this is, so we're, we're aiming for 40 gigawatt hours a year, both in California and in China, but I think long, long term, this will be much, much greater than this. I would say, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if long term, the stationary battery pack activity went in excess of 500 gigawatt hours per year. So the demand is like quasi-infinite here. As we look ahead to tackle the, what we see as the choke points in the supply chain, one of them is lithium refining. And uh, there have been a few times on Tesla earnings calls where I've said, 
can someone please just do lithium refining because it's, there's just a shortage of it. And, but we really see very little activity outside of China for lithium refining. It's not that we wish to take on extra problems, but since nobody else was doing it, we felt we had to do this. And we've just broken ground on a lithium refinery in Corpus Christi, which will be do more lithium refining than I think probably everything outside of China. Yeah. And we've signed a deal for our next gigafactory in Mexico, Giga Mexico. And I, I think that's going to be a fantastic factory. You know, we're laying the groundwork for ultimately getting to 20 million vehicles a year. So a Cybertruck is a hard car to make. It's because it's a, such a radically new design, it actually, you can't just use conventional methods of manufacturing. We had to invent a whole new set of manufacturing techniques in order to build an exoskeleton-based car instead of an endoskeleton-based car. So it's extremely non-trivial to, to build the Cybertruck. But we're making good progress on that. We have the, yes, so I, that, that's the thing I, when I, in the factory, I tour the Cybertruck line to see how we're doing there. And, and sorry for the delay, but we're finally going to start delivering production Cybertrucks later this year. And I think the product, if anything, is better than expectations. <laughs> Cybertruck is the, is the car I will be driving on a day-to-day -day basis. And people always want to know what our next product is. But this is not the time to... <laughs> we obviously need to have a proper, dedicated product launch. I just want to emphasize that we are actually building a new product. We are actually designing a new product. We're not sitting on our hands here. There are two new products that I think you will be very excited about. And both the design of the products and the manufacturing techniques are head and shoulders above anything else that is present in industry. Yeah, anyways. If I were to guess, I would say these, these two new products, just these two new products alone, I would say there's we will probably make, obviously this is just Elon's guess, don't sue me, <laughs> but I, I, Elon's guess is that, I, that, that we'll probably make in excess of 5 million units a year of these two models combined. These are all real, by the way.
the, I think the thing perhaps most, most notable is if you look at the difference between the last time we showed Optimus, and this is a video that was taken basically yesterday, and the Optimus team was up all night making this video. The Optimus team has done an incredible job. So just, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, the motors, the controllers, the electronics, and everything in the Optimus robot is a Tesla-designed system. So this is, we actually tried to find drive actuators and whatnot that, that were off the shelf. We found that there, there weren't any. In order to make an, an effective humanoid robot, you actually have to design the motors and gearboxes and the electronics from scratch because it's a very different application from anything else that exists. So we took our world-class motor and power electronics team and, and, say, and, and said, okay, we need to design several actuators that are that don't exist in the world. And they did. Optimus is working quite well. And then for full self-driving, as full self-driving gets closer and closer to generalized real-world AI, that same software is transferable to a humanoid robot. Just we, humans can obviously walk around with their arms and legs, but we can drive a car, fly a plane, steer a boat, ride a horse, if you have a generalized understanding, or if you have generalized real-world AI, which is what we are developing for full self-driving, it can be transferred to basically anything. And uh, so Optimus will use the same FSE computer as the car. And uh, the Optimus stuff is, I think, somewhat, not somewhat, extremely underrated. People, people, the, because they, people just cannot comprehend the consequences. Now, obviously, we need to make sure that we don't have a Terminator scenario. That's very important. It's all fun and games until Terminator shows up. But if you, say, if you have had a generalized humanoid robot, what would be the effective ratio of humanoid robots to humans? Because I think basically everyone would want one. And maybe people would want more than one. Which means the actual demand for something like Optimus, if it really works, which it will, is, I don't know, 10 billion units? It's some crazy number. It might be 20 billion units. If the ratio is, say, 2 to 1 on people, humanoid robots versus people, it might actually be... It, it's, not, it's some very big number, is what I'm saying. And a number vastly in excess of the number of cars. So my prediction is that Tesla's long-term value will be, a majority of the long-term value will be Optimus. And that prediction I'm very confident of. So, anyway. Let's see, so I think with that we can do questions, perhaps? Oh, what is it? Oh, sure. yeah, we also want to make sure please, retail investors, please vote. And normally retail investors for most companies don't vote, but we really care about your vote of, of small investors, not just large investors. So please do register to vote. Your vote is very important. And uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah.